Welcome back, everybody, to the TV podcast talking about Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 5, Kill the Boy! We did a Doctor Who podcast called uh, about an episode called Kill the Moon. We've moved on from the moon. Now we kill the boy. Uh, joining me, as always, to talk about Game of Thrones, uh, I saw him in person last week. Now he's just another voice on the other end of Skype. It's Brian Hamilton. Hi, Brian. It was a ton of fun hanging out with you last week, and now we're back on Skype. Now we're back Returning our- to the safety of the internet. Yes, return to your homes, everybody, so you can do a <laughs> podcast. And of course, he wasn't in Boston last week, and we missed him, but he's back now. It's Monty Ashley. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jason. You got to do an episode of Game of Thrones where you didn't have to take notes and watch a po- and do a podcast afterward. Between this and me covering it for television without pity, that might have been the first episode <laughs> I've ever watched where I didn't have to take any notes at all. How was it? Wow. Very relaxing. Oh, good. I'm glad. And I feel like I don't have any idea what happened. It was more relaxing for you than for Baristan the Bold, I'll tell you that much. Mm-hmm. That was kind well, of a rough episode for him. <laughs> He got to tell a story about Rhaegar Targaryen, and then he got stabbed and died. I feel like this is for last episode, not this episode, but I feel like when you tell someone, I'll sing you a song when we next see each other. Oh, man, you were dead. That is the medieval equivalent of, it's my last day on the force. Yep. Yep. You can't plan ahead in Westeros. I'm just one day from retirement. (laughs) That's right. I'll tell you that story about that time I saw a dragon tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> dun, 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 and then they're then they're gone. Oh, it's just like Ned Stark. In yeah. fact, oh yeah, I'll tell you all about your mother. Tomorrow is oh, promised wh- to no man. Valor Margulis. Apparently, so uh, this episode, uh, "Kill the Boy," which refers to a line very early in the episode where Meister Eamon tells Jon Snow he needs to kill the boy and let the man be born. Time to run, Castle Black. Time to be the head of the Night's Watch. Leave your boyish. Issues behind, you know nothing, Jon Snow, and uh, just uh, just r- rule the uh, rule the roost. But I I think they should call this episode um, North by Northeast because almost basically everything that happens in this episode is either in the east or in the north, and the southern no the Landing. southern reaches are just not there. I noticed that too because when you get to Winterfell and points north. All the colors in the show vanish, and it's very desaturated. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was most of the show. Yeah. I thought in my contrast, TV was busted. In contrast to most of the episodes of this show, where they jump around a lot, here they were happy to get to the wall and just stay at the wall forever. And, and then they go to Winterfell, and they stay there forever. Yeah. And we get bookended by some stuff that's happening in the East. But it's really so. It's the, some stuff in the east, and then lots of stuff at the wall, and lots of stuff at Winterfell. And I, I'm curious what you guys think. I, I kind of like the pacing of this. I'd kind of almost rather have every other episode be a lot of time spent in in some locations rather than having every episode be just you know one scene. I kept waiting for it to move on to to king's landing and i was kind of happy that i got to see like the whole picture of what was happening at winterfell and the whole picture of what was happening uh in the night's watch it was nice to not have as many say cliffhangers where you have to Mm. wait for next uh episode to get something that you should have been promised in one episode we got a lot in this episode from both the wall and winterfell i think the pacing was much smoother than if they jumped all over the continent i really like this one I would have liked one more cliffhanger, actually. I felt like the episode ended about a minute and a half too late. Mm. Uh, We can get to my specific suggestion when we go scene by scene. Yeah. Um, 
I actually didn't feel like that much happened. I could might change my mind after we go through the episode, but for the amount of time we spent at Winterfell, Winterfell's pretty much the same as when we left it the last time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We'll 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 get to that, but there is especially there's that nice long scene with uh where where uh where uh, Ramsey <laughs> does stupid things while Roos <laughs> just sits there and I'm like why is he letting him sit? <laughs> oh, I can't things? wait to break that down with you. All right. <laughs> so um, so much fun. Let's start let's start in the east uh in the in and talk about what we saw in Daenerys territory <laughs> and then we'll talk about the two guys we'll check in check in on our friends in a boat at the end but to just to kick it off Daenerys um and everything that's happening in Marine Cerberuston is indeed den, uh, dead 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 uh, Grey Worm, not dead, just grievously wounded, but he he might get better. Um, but Barristan is dead, which for people who read, again, people always ask, like, are there spoilers for the books? Do you spoil things? We don't. We, we stick with what's in the show. I can tell you as a reader of the books, this does not happen in the books. This Ooh. is this is an interesting divergence where they're like, he's dead. We're going to we're going to kill him. He's dead because uh, Sir Barristan does not die at this point in the books. I don't know if he dies at a later point. I can tell you <laughs> all the books, all the written material I've read, he does not die. So, you very nearly accidentally quoted The Princess Bride right there. Yes, he's only, he, he's, but it means that in books he's partially alive. No, um, no actually, I mean the yeah. part where Peter Falk stops and says, he does not die, die at, this at this time point in the time. book. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, when you're writing a book, you don't need to worry about the logistics of getting actors involved. I mean, and, George R. R. Martin can spill as much ink as he wants and not have to deal with someone else's schedule. Yeah. Well, so, all of our schedules. So so bummer for, bummer for the guy who plays Sir Barristan and bummer for Sir Barristan because he's dead. Uh, but I, I have reached the point after, after uh, what is it, five years of this show that I feel like um, I, I, uh, I now no, do not know what's going to happen. <laughs> And it's taken this long to get there, but I'm there now where I literally have no idea what is going to happen next because even though I've read the books, they don't care that I've read the books. They're not interested in that. They're just going to do whatever they're going to do. So he's dead. Grey Worm is hurt. They're going to round up the leaders of the of the of the leading houses in Marine because this is going to be Danny's big new plan on how to be an effective ruler is threaten everybody with death. <laughs> that first great leader or that first leader of the great family is very poor at thinking on his feet Mm -hmm. because the minute she says round up the leaders of the great families, he, (laughs) he he practically waves his hand in the air and says, but, but wait, I'm I'm one of the leaders. (laughs) There is a scene in this movie, black dynamite, which I did not (laughs) expect ever to be referenced by game of Thrones where our hero black dynamite says something to the effect of, one thing I will not accept is people selling drugs to the community. And one of the pimps to whom he is speaking says, but Black Dynamite, I sell drugs to the community. <laughs> and that is exactly how that scene felt to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not going down the rabbit hole of how much I love Black Dynamite, but um, I, <laughs> I only really love it into this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought this scene was something that, you know, we've spent more time in these dragon crypts with Daenerys in the past few episodes and at the tail end of last season than ever. I mean, this is the first time they've all been cooped up like this and she's been able to control them. We'll see her third remaining dragon that's unleashed later, but this is the first time in a while she's really leveraged the dragons. And as we heard a few episodes ago, what is uh, the queen of dragons without dragons? Nothing. Right. 
Yeah, it's a good thing she figured out how to leverage her dragons without actually having to unchain them and put mm-hmm. herself in danger. I'll feed you to the dragons. Dragons <laughs> also, because maybe because the fire, they prefer their food cooked, turns yeah. out. Yeah, I'll feed you to the dragons. Uh, you guys go down there. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified of approaching them. Yeah. Freddy's Barbecue's got some uh, competition now that the dragons are entering the food service industry. But you don't want to overfeed them. That's, a, that's an important lesson we learned. <laughs> uh, don't want to overfeed your dragons. So uh, then uh, we we come back later and and uh, visit Grey Worm and uh, uh, Masande, the uh, the uh, servant, the handmaiden, the assistant, assistant to the queen. The translator is, I think, her original job. All right, fair enough. And uh, she's uh, she. Uh, is there taking care of Grey Worm? And he says, oh, my regret in, in if I died was not seeing you again. Whoa. And I keep thinking, you know, he's a eunuch, right? But, you know, love, love knows no <laughs> boundaries. Love knows no boundaries. Grey Worm loves Masande. And uh, just like Joni loves Chachi is what I'm saying. Given all the gratuitous nudity and sex we get in this show, this is the first time I've seen a simple kiss mean this much to the characters involved. Well, I mean, mm. Grey Worm, Grey Worm can't do much more than that. But I think that's the point here: is that this is not about because they they are eunuchs. I mean, th- this is a this is that's not what the relationship is about, right? This is kind of like a platonic uh, love, uh, an ideal kind of thing that that I assume that is going on with Grey Worm. I don't know. Maybe eunuchs aren't as eunuchy in <laughs> Game of Thrones. Maybe I I, I don't know. But it's sweet. <laughs> I, I, Judging- found, I found it sweet. Judging from what Varys has said, eunuchs are extra eunuchy in Game of Thrones. I, I know. <laughs> I know. But can you believe anything he says? No. Who knows? I don't know. But that—that's just the strength of Grey Worm's love of Missandei. Is that? Uh, is that even so? Anyway, it's a sweet little moment. Um, and then, uh, and then, let's see. She goes and talks to Daenerys and gives her some advice. Her advice is generally. Um, I, I've I've listened to you listen to other people and then make up your own mind when you have a better idea. So do that. <laughs> yeah, it really seems like Daenerys needs advisors, maybe short, drunk, sarcastic ones. Interesting. That's an she's interesting a, idea. She's they'll, missing an uh, advisor. Yeah, like, she's uh, down a few advisors now, but at least Tyrion's yeah. going to show up hopefully and make things a little bit more interesting for her. I like that. I like that she's not good at her job. I have to say, I yeah. like it because the whole story of Daenerys is she's trying to figure out how to be a ruler, right? She doesn't know. And as uh, in in another scene that we'll get to in a minute, as uh, as Meister Amon says, you know, she's a lone Targaryen trying to make her way in the world by herself, and that's a shame. And we, you know, we see it here that she's, um, you know, she's not like a natural right she's she's trying to figure it out and it's hard not everybody can be a ruler so um i think that's really i think it's interesting i i think we get annoyed at daenerys sometimes for her not knowing what to do and asking her advisors and making dumb decisions but i think that's kind of the point which is she's learning she's trying to she's you know marine gets to be the 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 spring spring training of uh of Iron Throne Ruler's School for Daenerys. <laughs> yeah, she's screwing up some unimportant city. <laughs> yeah. So that to, when she comes to Westeros, yeah. then, you know, the people that count. Go to the east, find a city-state, learn there for a while. It's like like getting your uh, learner's permit to yeah. drive a car. We'll give you it's a like bad, a, a beater. You can drive that around for a while, get some dents in it. It's fine. And then you buy a real car. It's, it's like World how you open, your, you open your play in Peoria. Because who cares what people in Peoria yeah. think? Hmm. <laughs> 
Sorry, no, this is the tutorial level for her. Yeah. <laughs> you heard me, Peoria. You know what uh, you did. Uh, uh. So she <laughs> says, I'm wrong. Finally, she says, open the pits. We were yelling this at her several weeks ago. And also, I will marry you. Uh, guy who was confused because you were one of the leading uh, <laughs> members of a family. Uh, you're now my suitor and I will marry you because that's all part of my plan. What? And that's uh, all we have from from Daenerys <laughs> in this episode. She's fickle. I'm not sure that it counts as being a good ruler when you when people don't know whether you're going to execute them or insist that they marry you. Yeah. That's Ming the Merciless style action, now <laughs> that I think about it. It's kind of a big swing, isn't it? A big emotional yeah. swing from she's going to have a dragon burn me up and eat me to, oh, we're getting married. I will <laughs> we'll check out a China pattern. Dragon weddings are uh, the equivalent of shotgun weddings in Game of Thrones. Yeah. I would be worried that as part of the wedding ritual, I would also be fed to a dragon. <laughs> Just, you know, maybe that's <laughs> how everything ends in Daenerys' world is then you get thrown in a pit and eaten by a dragon. It could be. Anything more about Daenerys before we move on to the wall? Uh, this feels like a very stepping stone episode for uh, Daenerys. I mean, aside from the big reveal at the end that she's going to marry someone uh, in the community, then, yeah, it's very typical Daenerys. What I'm concerned about is that this is another thing anchoring her down to Marine, and I want to get her over to Westeros as fast as possible. This is another thing getting in the way of that. Yes, I agree. I, her, Although her story may be interesting... As long as I feel like it can be completely removed from the show and not affect anything else, <laughs> I'm going to be impatient with her. I think that's I think that's fair. I, I like the fact that she's decided to open the pits. I, when we talk about things that that you know what what has changed, this is the uh, the advice she was given several weeks ago, which is like, look, this is a gesture, and she's she's doing what they suggested, which is just make it with the free people and no slaves and all of that. And she said no, and finally she's saying yes. That's some forward advancement, but it is true. Like, you know, how much more marine int- intrigue are we going to get? But we're all just hoping that uh, Tyrion shows up there soon talk to her and make trouble because that's what Tyrion. We can see the horizon that ends with Tyrion being in Marine with Daenerys and it's very very tantalizing and the longer they keep it away from us the more I'm going to get a little bit angry mm-hmm. at Daenerys. Uh let's go to the wall. Ugh. <laughs> so, you have opinions. So uh I liked that Sam is reading like news from previous seasons about what's going on with Daenerys to her Great uncle, maybe, uh, Meister Eamon, who says, uh, you know, here I am useless and dying and there's a lone Targaryen across the water and I wish, you know, she's, <laughs> she's all on her, all on her own. And I, I, I like that reminder that Meister Eamon is indeed a, a Targaryen. And, uh, I think, I think the way the story goes is joined, didn't want to be the king and so joined the Night's Watch. Um, or became a Meister and then joined the nice wa- Night's Watch. Whatever it was, he was like getting out of there. <laughs> he was not going to stick around and be in the family business. And now, you know, his family all died except for this Daenerys across the sea who um, Sam reads little notes about. And immediately after their discussion about how few Targaryens there are left, Jon Snow wanders in to have a little conversation. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a theory. I just the, <laughs> once you think, once you know the theory, you start finding little things here and there. Well, well the show's definitely handing us little hints like that. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. They're well, either backing the theory up 
or putting the evidence for the theory in so that, so that they can pull the rug out. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And the fact that we've talked all about uh, Rhaegar last week, and this week we got Eamon talking about the Targaryens, uh, and that there's only one left. This is all really interesting. But I like his I like his uh, conversation that he has with John, which is kill the boy and let the man be born. You know, you need to you need to do what you you need to make the hard decisions. And yeah, you, you're worried that half the people are going to hate you if you make this decision. Half of them already hate you. Go ahead. I think what what Meister Eamon is missing there is that the half that already hate you um, may be joined by the other half when you make this decision <laughs> and everybody will hate you, Jon Snow. Hatred's there, not mutually exclusive. There's a baseball manager that says, said in the clubhouse that a third of the guys will hate you, a third, third of the guys will like you, and a third of the guys will be neutral. And the essence of managing is keeping the guys who hate you away from the guys who haven't decided yet. <laughs> And I feel like John could be applying yep. that right now. Yep. I think that's exactly what's going on. Um, but the the recommendation is to talk to the uh, the guy who is the sort of like the most ranking member of uh, the Free Folk now that Mance Raider is gone. Um, and uh, there's a uh, – they, they, so they have that conversation. Um, maybe you're not proud. Maybe you're just a coward was a nice <laughs> line that I wrote down. It, didn't he use this exact line of argument against Mance? Yeah, I think so. But and it, Mance it, just brushed it all off. But it yeah. works better on Tormund. Yeah, it's almost yeah, exactly the same scene, but it's on a different character. And it's you know they're both too stubborn to join forces with the Night's Watch, despite the fact it's not technically uh, swearing fealty, but at least it's you know fighting alongside each other. And John has this really great pragmatism in terms of uh, defending the realms of men, as it says in his mm-hmm. oath. And it's something I want more of in the show. I want John to succeed just because it's what I would do. And I think it's what most people would do in 2015 if they were in, on the inside, outside looking in on Westeros and the wall. But what John does is is the classic sort of like, hey, guys, I don't know anything about the history of this conflict or any of the details. It just looks like it would make sense if you came over here. And um, and it does make sense on that level. And yet there is so much history and there's so much politics and there's so much detail that when he talks to Tormund, he's like, yeah, well, <laughs> and then he starts to list off all the reasons why it's a bad idea. And I feel like that is that is uh, that that kind of rings true to me. Like there's the idealism and there's sort of a, a like a, at a basic level. Yes, it does make sense. But when you get to the details, it's like, yeah, but people are going to they really hate you guys. And it, and when he goes and talks to the the Night's Watch about it, it's the exact same story. It's like they killed they, they killed the people in the villages and they raid us and we hate them. It's like even though it totally makes sense for this to happen, neither side uh, wants to have it happen because they're way too bogged down in the details and in history and in revenge for for crimes committed previously. And it's like John has a hard time getting over that. Um, let's see. Uh, Stannis comes in and uh, in a line that that uh, that made me laugh and made my wife laugh, especially because she called it. Uh, he says something about it's less than whatever, and Stan cut to Stannis. And he says fewer. Because <laughs> Stannis is just complaining. That's why Stannis is there. He used to complain about grammar. That is very. That's so Stannis. That could be a new slogan. That's so <laughs> so <No>. Stannis. Humorless <laughs> thought- complaining about grammar. <laughs> I thought that scene was really interesting because we don't get to see him pitch it to the rest of his Night's Watch comrades. We always sees the fallout. It's the lead balloon of afterward. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's infuriating because you know 
we can say that he's objectively right that they should team up to fight their common enemy and no one else is having it because of all this other stuff two plus two doesn't equal four two and one uh like providence means something else and two and another providence means three so nothing adds up and it's just really annoying and when you see um when you see the kid the boy that i thought this episode was going to be about uh ollie that (laughs) they were going to kill him yeah you see why uh, they destroyed his entire village. That's why he doesn't want to do it. That's why nobody else wants to do it. It's such a visceral thing. Yeah. And it's only something that can happen in Westeros. You get you get what why he feels that way. But the back to back of those two scenes where John says it's better than, you know, we're better together than having the army of the dead come and kill us all. So we need to do this because we all know what's coming and it's going to come and it's going to kill us all. And the next scene is Ollie saying but they killed my parents. So I want to kill them. It's like, Oh, you know, it's like, I get it. I totally get what you're saying is what John says to him. But the, the, you know, the snow zombies are coming and we're stronger with them when, when, and without them. And it's, it's just, it, it's a really tough argument to make. I really appreciate the, the predicament that John is in because if I were Ollie, I'd say the same thing, right? Which is like, I, these people just, you know, killed my whole family and my, everybody I ever knew. Why yeah. would we let them come through the wall and settle? After Ollie killed Egret for killing his father in front of him, yep. John gave him a hurt look. Mm. Like, we were having a moment here. Yeah. <laughs> on, there was man. no moment between Ollie and the. Uh, and the White Walkers, or the Wildlings. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Sam uh, and Gilly have a conversation about <sighs> books. Getting kind of tired of Gilly. Well, so he doesn't Sam understand and... your fancy book learning, Sam. <laughs> well, I love how we get the uh, dichotomy between uh, Gilly's being adorable and sweet and wants to be with Sam and... <clears throat> And she wants to learn more about books, and uh, she knows that that's what he's interested in. So she's making such an effort to be someone that that uh, he wants to be around. And then Stannis comes in and says, oh, you're important, so why don't you keep reading your books and keep doing that? That is what gives you your value. And as soon as he said that, I thought, oh, God, no, he's trying to, maybe not intentionally, but it's Game of Thrones, so it's always intentional, <laughs> uh, to drive him and Gilly apart. And I don't want that. As much as Gilly is a little annoying, you know, I, I love the two of them together. They're wonderful. Well, but I, I thought that scene was really important, not because of Gilly, who I've kind of resigned myself to. She's going to be around doing the same thing every time we see her. <laughs> but finally, Sam has told someone, you kill White Walkers by killing them with dragon glass. Yes, obsidian. Use that. And, the children of the forest used it. We should yeah. use it. And Sanus says, hmm, I've heard of that. I know where some is. Yeah. Keep researching ways to fight the White Walkers. I, 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 we know of dragon glass at my kingdom and castle known as Dragonstone. Yes. It's like, yes, <laughs> it's all connected now. That's very nice. Keep reading, Samuel Tarly. Yeah. That is good. I, I, um, the Sam and Gilly thing, um, I did kind of enjoy the uh, moment where she's where he's like, no, no, you're good at things too, like cleaning and cooking, and uh, and she's like, yeah, shut up. 
<laughs> I, I thought that was a good little give and take where Sam's trying to be helpful. Um, and she's being really, really down on herself and self-deprecating. And, he, and he's quite right to to try and, and buck her up a little bit. But in the end, he starts listing things that are not things that she's particularly proud of, you know, of being yeah. good at. You mm-hmm. know, she's, she, I, I felt like she was going to be like, yeah, Craster taught me lots of things. Hmm. I am not proud of any of these things. <laughs> and unfortunately, the little grayscale girl who has shown the ability to teach someone how to read is about to leave. Yeah. Yes. Stannis' daughter. It's sad because they're going to march at sunrise. It's time. Uh, although without their, you know, their boats are going to go get some wildlings and bring them back. But in the meantime, Stannis' army is going to march to Winterfell to attack uh, the Boltons before they uh, they can get more people to defend Winterfell. The gears are spinning. This is the first time I felt this excited about a next episode since uh, the Blackwater, when everyone was gearing up for that, and the Blackwater happened. And uh, you know, it's the penultimate episode of the season, so it's always something huge, and you're like, "Yes, Blackwater, do it!" So and next week will time- entirely be set at King's Landing in Dorne. <laughs> <laughs> Just to so no, spite um, you, having uh, yeah, and that's mm, knowing Game of Thrones, they would do that. <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, Onion Night Watch. By the way, uh, I did. I did really enjoy when he says to the king's daughter, "When the battle comes, promise you'll protect me." I thought that was mm-hmm. adorable that he, that the Onion Knight says that to the little girl. They're yeah, taking the little wonderful. girl and the wife and the mistress slash scary red priestess. They're all. Everybody's coming to Winterfell. I like how much they're doing with the little girl. I do think it's a shame that because of the uh, desaturation I mentioned earlier. I can't really see the grayscale that yeah. is allegedly disfiguring her. Much easier to see later in the episode on someone else. Yes. Ooh. Now we get a little bit of that on her. We're getting infuriatingly little Onion Knight this season. It's not yeah. like... Oh, he's around. He just didn't do anything. It's not like Kramer walking in each episode. Hey, it's Kramer. And he, <laughs> Yay, Kramer. No, it's like, please give us more Onion Knight. We yeah. love the Onion Knight. Well, I, I hope that uh, in the battles to come, we get we get some more in Unite. But yeah, he's been sidelined here because it's all been about, you know, it's all been about Melisander and and uh, about uh, Stannis uh, talking to the Night's Watch people and not so much the Onion Knight. Uh, he's uh, he's a really great character. So, you know, I'm a little disappointed. He gets to hang out on the uh, cutting room floor with Bran and uh, Arya for this episode, at least. Yeah. Yeah, with Bran, Bran's just, Bran's not on the cutting room floor. Bran's like out on the beach in a <laughs> chaise lounge, just hanging out for a season. Just getting another year older and a, another year less like he was in the first season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's with the children of the forest now. Uh, meanwhile, slightly to the south at Winterfell, we have a whole bunch of different <laughs> stuff that happens. Brienne and Pod uh, are look, looking out and going, oh... She's in there. I don't. I don't trust those Boltons. Uh, and and conspires to send her a message from one of the serving people who, you know, Brienne says they're like what what you know. Sure, there are lots of people inside that castle. And she's like, no, I know who's inside that castle. You're gonna get sent a message for me. And that's all. And that's it. It's a very perfunctory well, scene. <laughs> well, we see that, and we also see Sansa get told by one of the servants that. If she's ever in trouble, all she has to do is the very simple task of go to the highest window in the broken, in the tower, broken tower and light a candle. Yeah. This is One not like calling... Two by sea, yeah. three by dragon. This is not like calling 911. That's a lot of effort. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> like a long-term trouble. Like, you're feeling like you're really going to be in trouble pretty soon. So, I've, you can I feel away. like once Ramsay turns on her, 
she's not, not going to have a lot of time to prepare. No, no, or she won't have enough limbs to get to the yeah. highest window. Um, Ramsey. So we got a we got a scene with Ramsey and his girlfriend Miranda, who is the uh, in the working in the in the kennels. Um, and Miranda is jealous because <laughs> I, I saw you looking at that girl you're going to marry. And and he says, Cha, I'm going to marry her. And she's, do you think she's pretty? It's like, yeah, she's pretty. What do you want me to say? Because Ramsey <laughs> doesn't care and has no filter and just says whatever. And uh, but, but fortunately, Miranda is uh, is apparently kinky enough that uh, she's never going to bore Ramsey. So Ramsey's going to keep yeah. her. I really like Ramsey in that scene. Instead of the over-the-top psychopath he was in a lot of his scenes with Theon, he almost, for me, approached a young Malcolm McDowell level of weirdness. Hmm. Like, sort of acting normal, but you can tell he's crazy underneath, as opposed to what he's usually been doing, which is crazy underneath and on top (laughs) and also over-the-top. The fact that this is his normal is more telling than when we get to see his insane. We only see him when he's torturing. I mean, that's going to be bad on, that's going to reflect badly on anybody if you only ever meet them when they're torturing somebody. A few weeks ago, I said I did not want to know what sex with uh, Ramsey would be like. Now we know. Now I we don't want to know. Now we know. Very sad. Well, Miranda seems lovely, is what I'm saying. She seems lovely. Yeah. Um, and she befriends Sansa at the kennel just long enough to point her to the end of the hallway where she sees sleeping in the last uh, the last cage of the kennel is Theon, who freaks out and says, you shouldn't be here. And uh, and it leads to, I think, an effectively creepy scene where um, Ramsey makes like he's going to punish Theon and then he says he'll forgive him, <laughs> which is which is I mean, that is part and parcel of being the completely you know, messed up psychological tor- tormentor kind of figure is you You leave them never knowing whether you're going to praise them or torture them because then when you don't torture them, they love you for having not hurt them. And th- just reminding us how messed up uh, Theon is and how, uh, you, you know, evil and creepy Ramsey is. Yeah, it would have been easy for Ramsey just to torture him again. He's found a new level where... He can be cruel to somebody by purposely not torturing them when they expect it. <laughs> I've always wondered what Theon's actual mental state was like and whether or not he was faking all this just to get on the inside or if he was actually, you know, brainwashed or maybe he forgot everything. But no, he still remembers. He, or it seems like he does, at least. It's, he still remembers um, killing who he thought uh, Bran and Rickon were. Right. And the... This was a very shockingly telling episode in terms of Theon because we get to see him in his element for the first time in a while. He is the actual like turning point for everything. He, like, a few things revolved around him and whether or not he would actually do anything about the fact that Sansa's back. Yeah, I do we know I thought that Theon realized that he didn't kill Bran and Rickon. After he killed them. So he knows that he didn't actually kill them. And that's a piece of information that he's holding back from from uh, Ramsey. Yeah, he killed two random kids. Yeah, from the from the village. Right, right. But that's still something that he remembers and something that he still holds on to in a way. Well, what I think is interesting that Ramsey believes that Theon killed Bran and Rickon. Everybody at Winterfell believes that. Yeah. But some people know better because Sam saw Bran right. at the wall. 
Right, but the I, I think that's the those are the only people who know are are like Sam and maybe maybe you know other people at the wall maybe John knows or something like that but nobody in the kingdoms like knows that and I think that's an interesting bit of uh, information asymmetry where you know the Starks are widely believed to be dead but actually aren't all dead yeah just to be you know presumably to to come back later and and bite somebody we don't I really know how hope sh- they do. We don't know how strong the people in the North feel about uh, how succession works when it's a man versus a woman. Right. Because mm. right now everybody's saying, Sansa, the true ruler of it's Winterfell. The last Stark, right. But there's a... But, but a brand shows up with Hodor or, or Rickon even. Or Rickon, because Rickon's south of the wall. Yeah. Just, with the green frog people or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> with Tonks. Yeah, with Tonks, exactly right. They're off doing something. Yeah, uh, I don't know. She eventually got merged with uh, Blue Bottle, but that's another show. Mm. <laughs> um, they, so that's another thing that comes up a little bit later in the episode when um, when Roose Bolton brings up the fact that he may have a male heir, and <laughs> Ramsey is very ticked off about that. Yeah, that that's really amusing, and I like how Roose says something like. Oh, are you worried about your station? You know, he's like, yeah. oh, I see that this after saying so they have the long they have, first off, they have the long, painful, like banquet scene where I feel like I cannot believe that Roose Bolton is letting this continue because it is <laughs> it is like Ramsey at his most like obsequious and it, it goes on forever and he's tinkering with Reek and he makes him apologize for murdering the brothers and says, will you give away the bride at my wedding? And, and then, uh, and, and finally, um, his father speaks up and says, Hey, we're going to have a baby. And then it's like, freak out, freak out time. But it, it's funny that I, I was surprised they let him let Ramsey go on that long because that was, it, that was painful. Well, he did scold Ramsey. But only after the dinner when it was just the two of them. Right, right, right. Exactly. He did. He did say that. I, I just. I was happy when that happened because I was sitting there thinking, why is he let, letting this go on? And I think the answer is he. He. He's a pretty button down guy. He. He. He's gonna hold on to those thoughts, and after the women and the servants are all gone, he will take the his young, you know, guy he's mentoring into being his successor, and take him aside and say that was embarrassing. Yeah, you never speak out against the family. He knows that Ramsey is a complete loon. Yeah. And he's going to ask him, try not to be so publicly crazy, <laughs> nutty. There's nothing more awkward than saying, whew, that was awkward. Yeah, but but that it was awful. I, I, I enjoyed the I'm your son until a better alternative comes along. <laughs> I think that was a nice bit of realization. And then we get to hear Ramsey's charming origin story, which is basically that there was a... a woman uh, who is the wife of a guy who then Roos hangs and then uh, he, he takes her under the hanging body and she shows up a year later and says, I have a baby. And he says, and I could have killed you, but instead I looked in your eyes and thought, ah, that's my son. And that's you. <laughs> Which is just, <laughs> it is as charming a story as Ramsey as a person. We've been getting some origin stories this season. We got um, the daughter, what, two weeks ago? And then we get this and... And then we get Brienne's origin story a few weeks before. We've been getting really in-depth with some of these characters. Like, in conjunction with the odd pairings of people going on adventures, we get some nice personal moments like this. And It it was nice that... Did I cut out again? Oh, sorry. All right. Uh, 
it was nice that this episode aired on Mother's Day because we got some really good mother stuff. Uh, Ramsey got to meet his new mother, uh, Walda. She's Walda Frey, I think. Huh. Yeah, that could be. She's she's she she's big like a Frey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And That's what they got, look like. And we learned about his birth mother, who may or may not have been lying. Yeah, who knows? But you know, Ramsey looked, uh, or Roos looked in in his eyes and knew that. He- <laughs> Either way, he's technically illegitimate, which means any son that he has now is going to be more legitimate uh, and is going to take his post. Unclear because he yeah. made him he made him a Bolton, which means he admits parentage. So that may mean that he is first. But I think the point is that if Roos does wants to kick him out. Uh, because he's got a better option, he could do that. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's an interesting little combination there. Yeah, I'm always worried about saying technically with any of the uh, succession lines here, because <laughs> who knows yeah. how these people have it set up. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea that there's, you know, a little baby can threaten this big guy that we've seen torture and flay people, and a little baby is his biggest threat right now. It would be a shame if something were to happen to that baby. Mm. Mm. I hope not. Yeah. But there's precedent in Game of Thrones. That could that could happen. Uh so then we are left with two men on a boat. <laughs> Hooray. And and the uh the, the line I wrote down, of course, the line of the episode. Long sullen silences and the occasional punch in the face. The Mormon <laughs> way. <laughs> Patented trademarked. Oh, uh, that's Tyrion. And the other line is what what do you mean there's no wine? I am a person who drinks. <laughs> People who drink need wine. <laughs> My favorite line of the episode was from Daenerys when she said, if I give everyone what they deserve, I'll have no one left to rule. Well, that's true. That's a good one. So they, um, they're they on their boat, and then the, he's cutting through. Jorah Mormont is cutting through uh, Valyria, which is, we've heard of the Valyrian steel yeah. before, and Valyria information is sprinkled throughout the books. But here we get a little bit of a download, which is there's a poem. They talk about the doom still ruling. You see in the background a skyline of, like, huge buildings, like yeah. modern city skyline kind of thing. But that that is a ruin, and they tell the poem about how there was, like, fire and the sea is still has smoke coming out of it and and will we ever reach you know or will our civilization ever reach a, a pinnacle of of what they were able to accomplish in this place and this is a fascinating bit of george R. R. martin's world building that that the idea that there was once this much more advanced center um of the world and they were so advanced that they did something terrible probably magical and now there's nothing but ruins and the doom of Valyria and people steer clear, except for Jorah Mormont, who takes a little rowboat nearby because he would rather be near the the, 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 the ruins than pirates. Yeah. And the first thing that happens is we see a majestic dragon up in the sky, which really helped the whole uh, Jungle Cruise feel for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that shot of Tyrion looking up. I mean, because, right, because Jorah understands that there are dragons, right? But but for Tyrion to see a dragon like that is that moment just like, I cannot believe what I'm seeing right now. That was a just a really great moment. And, of course, in the background as he's watching the dragon fly by, one of the stone men is jumping in the water <gasps> and coming over to get them. At first, I thought they were just zombies because I had completely forgotten all the stories of the men who had succumbed to grayscale and went crazy. Yeah, well, I we, thought it was for- Kratos from the God of War. Fortunately, Ooh. they they told us they told us about the stone men. I think last week, 
Yeah. <laughs> so we had we they they prepped us for the stone men who are you know sort of it's sort of like a leper colony kind of thing. They're all overrunning gray scale and losing their sense. And uh, but like zombies, they will attack you. And so they attack our friends in the rowboat. And Tyrion isn't cut loose from his bonds and eventually has to jump in the water uh, to escape uh, attacks. And, and uh, they, Jorah keeps yelling, don't let them touch you. Because as we heard again last week or the week before from uh, Stannis talking to his daughter, that this is a disease that's very communicable by touch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, in the end, Tyrion doesn't drown. Which I really feel that's where you end the episode. You end. You. Oh, I, I yeah. was waiting for the credits to come up when he went sunk beneath the sea, and it was just black. I was yep. waiting for the credits to come up right then. Like another weird little moment where we don't know what's going on. It's like lingering on that one shot of the uh, weird maester in King's Landing, and then having the body go insane in the background. Like we don't know what's going on. This is something that Game of Thrones doesn't do that often, and when they do, it's a big moment. And I yeah. loved, loved having him come back at the end. I was holding my breath, just like Tyrion. Mm. It's not that I would have actually thought he was drowned. I just thought it would. It felt like a nice closure moment. You're fading to black anyway. Yeah. Just run the credits. Yeah, and instead, <laughs> what we get is uh, uh, things get worse for for Jorah and and Tyrion. They're now boatless on a beach, but not dead and and not killed by the Stone Men. Uh, but the last reveal is that. Uh, Jorah rolls up his sleeve after assuring Tyrion that he didn't get touched by the the stone men, and there's gr- a patch of grayscale on his wrist, as seen in every zombie movie. Yep, every He's zombie doomed. movie. Doomed, doomed. Uh, unless well, he can get the same people who cured Stannis's <laughs> daughter, because she's fine. Yes, there is a cure. It just requires every Meister. Yes, every Meister, and then even then, you're horribly scarred for life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He could rush back to King's Landing. There's that one crazy guy. He might have a plan. Yeah. And he's not going to even get there. It's bad news for Jorah, but uh, Jorah's got his, like, insane, irrational love for Daenerys. So I assume he's going to keep with the plan, even though he is now uh, doomed by the, uh, by the horrible grayscale. I like to think he measured out, you know, how long he has to live or at least uh, retain his sanity before he becomes consumed by the grayscale versus how long it'll take to get to Marine. And then maybe he'll die or go insane with some dignity, knowing that he's still in Daenerys' good graces. If by some weird coincidence at the end of this all crazy thing, he's all right. She forgives him and then he is free to die or go insane and join the other stone people. Who knows? Yeah, I just hope that he becomes more talkative because... As a partner for Tyrion, I liked Varys more. Yeah, there's more. Well, there was more going on there. Although it is kind of funny to have uh, Tyrion have to keep up both ends of the conversation. Oh, sure. It's fun for a few episodes, but eventually I want some give and take. Yeah, I agree. The Varys way is very different from the Mormont way. Yes, the occasional punch in the face to liven (laughs) up the discussion. I think Boston's duck tours would be much, much better if Tyrion were hanging out saying, you know, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson poems as we drive through the streets of Boston. And shouting, I am a person who drinks. (laughs) (laughs) With dragons flying everywhere. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess what we're going to have next is these two guys walking along a beach, one of them going through the DTs and one of them getting grayscale. Yeah, that should be fun. That'll be a whole episode of just that. Yeah, that's the penultimate episode this Mm -hmm. season. That's right. Two guys on a beach. Anything else from this episode? We've reached the end of my uh, of my notes. Anything else you we we should we should mention before we uh, wrap it up? 
Uh, did anybody else get a very Silence of the Lambsy feel in the yes. uh, kennels? Absolutely. When oh, she's yeah. walking slowly down and all the dogs, one after another, are barking at her. Mm. We get uh, the long, ominous walk past various uh, horrible things on her left to the big, ominous uh, mm-hmm. open door on the very end. Oh, mm. I loved it. Good. What horrible thing will be down there at the end? And the answer is Theon. Theon yeah, is horrible. a horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> For a um, second, I thought it was going to be Rob's uh, wolf. Yeah. Not I, the head, obviously, but the rest of it, that maybe they had bought it along and kept it in the kennels for some crazy reason. I wondered if bones. there was a leftover dire wolf that would be down there, but no. Where the burned corpses of uh, supposed Bran and uh, mm. Rickon. Yeah. Well, there are still dire wolves out there. Right. Right, just on the loose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. What do you what do you think? Good, bad. Um, I, I'm kind of with you that, in that. Although I enjoyed the watching of it, uh, it does feel like kind of nothing happened. Well, what happened is that Stannis Stannis left, and John put his his plan into practice. Daenerys uh, took the advice that she was given repeatedly over several episodes, and uh, you know Ramsay is still a creep, and Roose <laughs> and Ramsay still mean to rule the North. And the North has a long memory. I mean, it felt like a lot of a lot of uh, things we already knew, along with a little bit of push forward with things like uh, Stannis saying, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna attack now," and John saying, "I'm gonna go with the Wildlings and we're gonna bring them down here." Yeah. I'm worried um, at this point that there's so much going on in the show that every time they go to a location, they have to spend some time resetting yeah. for people mm-hmm. who don't take notes in every episode. So for me, I think we've already seen Ramsey do crazy torture things to Theon. We saw it for a whole season. <laughs> but there are other people who might not remember that, so we have to have at least one scene of it happening every time we come back. But there's so many locations and so many people, I don't see how they can progress the plot with that happening too often. I watched the first season of Game of Thrones on DVD, and it came with a little family tree of everybody that was in the show with, uh, you know, the little diagrams and things, fathers, sons, uncles, distant relatives. That is something that I've wished I've had the past few episodes. But again, especially for people that aren't, you know, taking notes every episode, it's going to be even worse. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. But yes, I do feel like you only have 10 episodes of story it kind of feels like you should be a little more urgent than than you were being here. That said, like we said at the beginning, I do appreciate the fact that we spent some time in these locations. It felt yeah. like I liked mm-hmm. that we that we weren't just flitting around, but it didn't feel like we were really gaining like huge swaths of momentum by hanging out here. It was more kind of pleasant to spend a little time or in the case of Ramsey, awkward. <laughs> well, Game of Thrones is all, you know, set up, set up, set up, payoff, set up, set up, set up, payoff. This comes with the territory, so we get really wonderful moments like Joffrey's death and the Red Wedding and Blackwater, all the penultimate episodes of the uh, seasons, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. So whatever they have in store for season uh, five, episode nine, I'm looking forward to it based on uh, what they're doing in these episodes where not that much happens. All right. Well, I think we've reached the end then for this week but we'll be back next week of course because there will be five more episodes of game of thrones this season we're halfway through halfway through this season monty 
It's a pleasure as always to have you on the recaps. We missed you last week, and we're glad that you're back. Thanks for being so here. So am I. I am also glad to be back. Yay. Hooray. And Brian, it was a pleasure as always to speak to you from the comfort of my own home with you in the comfort of yours. <laughs> and now I'm off into my boat to row back to my apartment. Bring a pal. Bring a buddy. Always bring a boat buddy with you. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. We will uh, check in with you next week for more Game of Thrones. Uh, goodbye, everybody.